Radio. Touch my shoulder, touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what the hell is that? Spirits and more radio starts now. Turn down the lights. If you dare. Spirits and more radio. And welcome to our very special Independence Day show, uh, Ghostly Spirits. We're going to be talking about some of the haunted locations related to American Revolution sites today. Um, And I think there's a lot to talk about on this one. That song I just played, by the way, uh, in the intro is a song uh, from that time frame, 1756. So uh, that's a legitimate song you just heard from the time frame of the people we're going to be talking about today uh, that continue to haunt uh, locations across uh, that part of the country where the American Revolution uh, War took place. Um, just, a, just a little few reminders here. Uh, you can call into the show and leave your uh, ghostly encounters on our ghost hotline at one 872 ghost Also, you can join us in the chat room by going to our, our website, spiritsandmoreradio.com. Uh, look in the lower right hand corner you'll see a little chat bubble and you can jump in the chat there Uh, you're also going to be able to find links to our guest pages and anything interesting we talk about on this show uh, and also all the past shows too so uh, jump on to spiritsandmoreradio.com and check that out for sure uh, if you haven't done so yet so uh, on this show we're going to be joined by Todd Atberry and he's a photographer uh, with an interest in the paranormal Uh, he's traveled the world taking photos of historical buildings and sites and uh, had some brushes of his own with the paranormal. Uh, he, uh, His father or his grandfather was a, a grave digger and, and he said that, uh, he tells me at least, uh, and we'll ask him about this, uh, that he, he grew up in a haunted house. So uh, welcome to the show, Todd. Hi, how are you? Good. So, uh, yeah. So now you, uh, you're a photographer, so maybe you can tell, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, a little bit about myself. Let's see. Yeah. Well, uh, it, I've been an artist, graphic artist, graphic designer for my whole life. And, uh, a while back, maybe 10 years ago, I guess I started doing more photography. And, uh, when I did, yeah, I wanted to take pictures of people, but I lived somewhere where I didn't really know anyone. So if you go to historic locations, not only do you have people that are used to having their picture taken, but they're wearing costumes and stuff like that. So that's really how I got started because, yeah, you got great photos going to places like that. It's a lot more interesting than shooting somebody in jeans and a T-shirt. So, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, it's kind of like time travel. Uh, you know, when you get the uh, angle just right, you can't tell if it's... Uh, 2017 or 1817. So I yeah. like that. Yeah, interesting. So um, now, what drew you to the paranormal? You say you grew <laughs> up in a haunted house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, yeah, my first ghost sighting is different than most people's because when I first saw a ghost, I had no clue what a ghost was. I was probably four, maybe five years old. And I remember I'd been out with my grandma and grandpa that afternoon out on the farm in the country. And I came home and was going up the steps to the bed bedroom. And I looked out the window and there's a figure standing out in the yard. And I thought at first I thought it was my grandpa, but then I noticed it's wearing like a long cloak. And I thought, well, why would grandpa be out in the yard wearing a long cloak? And then I got to looking and no, it wasn't him. So I went and told mom and dad and they said, oh, you're imagining things. And from that time on, I saw it. Oh, maybe half a dozen times, I guess, altogether. And after a while, mom and dad, well, I, I remember I saw The Haunting on TV. This would have been the early 60s, whenever that came out. And that's when I learned what a ghost was. And I realized what I'd seen that night, you know, was in fact a ghost. And it just kind of followed us around in the house here until I was about 18, I guess. Wow. So that was a regular occurrence. I mean, how frequent was that? Once every month, once well, see, every couple that's months? The, that's the funny thing. No, no, no. It would be like maybe 
every year, every two, three years. Uh, now, you know, and true, true to nature of poltergeist activity being more active around teenage teenagers, when my sisters hit their teenage years, the poltergeist stuff started up in the house and it continued while I was in here. Too. I mean, that, that's the most terrifying part because you actually have things moving around, flying off the walls and stuff like that. But uh, after I was about 19 or 20, uh, the house pretty well quieted down. And Wow. So in, what? Fact, in fact, I moved back here about seven or eight years ago, and now I'm actually stuck in the house. You know, they won't <laughs> let me out. Please, Bobby, <laughs> you can't leave. Oh, but I'm happy here. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's... Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe the ghosts kind of fade away. Maybe grow up. I mean, the house is probably 120, 130 years old. And uh, my grandma was the first person to see it because right after they bought the house, uh, my grandma was sitting in the chair and she said the guy who used to live here just walked through the house, but the guy who used to live there was no longer alive. And then when I was a, I was still a baby and in my crib. And my mother was outside in the yard and happened to look in the window and saw somebody standing over the crib. So it was going on before I knew about it. Wow. So, but she, she also had seen that. So um, originally it started out as just a sighting of a figure. I mean, could you see a face or was it sort of, was it transparent? Was it? No, well, I mean, it could have been transparent, but there was enough I can make out features. And I mean, it it was distinctive enough that I can still kind of see it in my mind. And, uh, wasn't that far away and i saw it like i know twice in that yard over there and in my neighbor's yard and then i saw it in the house a couple of times uh and then when i was 18 we were out in the country graveyard and i saw it there which i realized i mean it didn't haunt the house it was actually haunting me i would suppose wow so this so, thing, so this, yeah, this same was thing was moving around with you i mean well it, you know that's one theory now the other theory is that perhaps uh, when we see ghosts, we, we're seeing something and our mind kind of puts a shape to it. And, you know, that's entirely plausible as well. I've heard that theory many times. And I can see that because, uh, well, a while back, somebody told me they saw a railroad engineer in here. And I went upstairs one night, flipped the light on. Right when I did, I thought I saw the railroad engineer laying on, curled up on the bed. But then when my eyes adjusted, I saw, no, it's just the shape of the... Uh, the blankets and stuff on the bed. Right. But so, so your mind fills that stuff in, but there are some things that happen here. You just can't explain any other way. So. Yeah. And, and uh, when more than one person is seeing it too, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that your grandmother saw it, that's one thing. Um, I think a lot of skeptics are, you know, the, the most adamant skeptics, uh, you know, uh, attribute things, as you said, to your imagination or filling in the blanks, but yep. it's apparent by talking to lots of people on this show that, when you have a collaboration of three people who didn't talk about it ahead of time and they all say, Oh yeah, I saw that same thing. You know, uh, that's where you start to move into this area of, you know, uh, where, Oh, sure. You know, so do you consider yourself a skeptic? I mean, you, you've seen things, you believe in ghosts, you, you, you've seen, I know how easy it is for the mind to deceive people. And I know how easy it is for people to deceive people. But on at the same time, I also know there are things out there. We can't explain what they are, and, you know, when you start trying to put labels and definitions to them, you know, it's, it's get, you know, it's, it's uh, supernatural, and supernatural means it's not obeying natural laws, and if it's an obeying a law that we can understand, it's no longer supernatural, it's just natural, so. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical of people who say they know exactly what it is they see, you know, because it's easy to be fooled. Yes, yes. But, and that's half the fun, though. I mean, <laughs> I, I would imagine that half of the ghost chasers out there are out there not really trying to prove the existence of the paranormal, but because they like having the, the crap scared out of them. It's just human nature. We like that kind of thing, some of us. And so, yeah, it's more fun to believe than not to believe. But yeah. at the same time, you got to kind of keep your eyes open, especially when you're checking out haunted hotels. because Some of those can get pretty pricey. well the other thing too you mentioned poltergeist activity in the house so in your house you actually had things that were flying off the shelves you say uh yeah there was a a large photo of me hanging on a wall in a big frame my my mom and dad had all of the kids senior pictures up on the wall and mine was up steps about 12 steps so it would have been 12 foot off the wall probably or 12 foot off from the floor 
And we came in one day and it was leaning against the wall next to the steps. And it had somehow come off the wall, went down the steps, turned the corner and didn't break the glass inside the frame. But it did gouge a hole in the wall about three foot to the side of it. So it didn't fall. Whatever happened didn't fall. It knocked a hole out of the wall next to the photo first. So Wow. Yeah, that was that was the creepiest. And of course, TV's switching channels. And you know, that happens, of course. Right. You know, naturally, they'll just start going through. But this was back in the seventies when you also, you had to go through the empty channels to get to the good ones. And it was just going back and forth between real channels. So I see. And lights coming on and going off, stuff like that. Yeah, that's so, yeah. Uh, it was it was a good experience to prepare, prepare me for all this other stuff. <laughs> the stuff you eventually got into, right? Yeah. Well, I always had my eyes open for it, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. There's there was a few odder things that happened, you know, odd things happened in my twenties and thirties, but I didn't start checking it all out till I got into photography. Because I can't imagine that. You know, I mean, if one thing have you know, something falls off of a shelf, that's one thing. But if you have something fly, like flick through the air, yeah, you know, that gets, yeah, that intensity is different. Especially when it's a picture of yourself, you know, it does kind of creep you out a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> but when you're a teenager, you know, I mean, and this was the seventies, so yeah. Uh, luckily, there's corroboration for all of this stuff. It wasn't just my imagination, so. So other people saw that at the same time. Well, yeah, I mean, because actually I came home that afternoon and we found that and I saw the picture leaning against the wall and I figured mom had taken it down for some reason, mom or dad. And when they got home, they asked me why it was down. And that's when we realized that nobody had taken it down. I see. So, wow. So now how did you, um, how did you uh, decide to do a website? Cause you have a website uh, that's sort of dedicated to the darker macabre side of things. Is that right? Yeah, well, I, somebody told me you, you need to put your photos online so you can sell them, uh -huh. and you know that was that was a wacky idea. And so back back at the time, you know, it did actually work. But I noticed when I did, there was all these historic locations I had photos of, and if it was a place that had a ghost story associated with it, I was getting five times the traffic on the internet. Wow! And some, you know, and actually websites and search engine optimization and things like that is what I do in my day job. So it didn't take a whole lot of thought to, hmm, I ought to start writing these stories down that I hear. <laughs> and it's like a haunted hotel, you know, you're traveling from one place to another. You got to spend the night someplace. You got a choice between a Ramada Inn, or you might be able to find a bed and breakfast with a ghost story for the same price. And that's um, a lot nicer. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, now you, you, your first ghost encounter was really when you were young and mm -hmm. your, fa your family also experienced that same thing. Um, yeah. do you, um, how, how is it? It seems like it's pretty calm. Like you weren't freaked out about it. I don't get this feeling that you were. Oh no, it scared the living crap out of me. I mean, yeah, I slept with the lights on until I was 17 or 18 years old. <laughs> so you did, you did sort of live in fear in that house. Yeah. I mean, mom and dad kept telling me it was my imagination until I was older. And even then, they forgot to tell me that, you know, that stuff was, that other people had seen those things until I was, like, in my 30s. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's not something I would really, in fact, I've got a 16-year-old kid, and uh, I moved back here when he was about eight. And I've always been a little nervous and, you know, would ask him, you know, tell him, you know, if something weird happens, you can tell me. But he's been along on some of my trips as well. Has so he seen, has he seen anything? No, no. Uh yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so. Huh. Interesting. And this ghost that was in the house you grew up in, that ghost never really went further than the neighborhood there. Well, no, that one time I saw him out at the uh, graveyard and there were, like I said, there were three people with me that day. Now, oddly enough, we were all pretty certain what we saw at that moment. We'd, we'd seen a damn ghost. And, uh, but when I talked to him oh, a few years ago, and this is probably 30 years ago now, one guy doesn't remember seeing anything. Another person remembered seeing a mist, and I couldn't find the third person. So we huh. all three remember three different things from that. The three. first guy remembered something happened, but he couldn't remember what. Yeah. 
But for so, you, yeah. you, for you, you had seen that same entity many yeah, times I'd before. Seen, so yeah, I'd seen it. So I recognize. So, so that's what always made me wonder. You know, maybe it was my mind building that because why would a why would a figure be wearing a cloak in the middle of the mid, Midwest? You know, right. I mean, cloaks never really was a fashion here. Well, I guess early <laughs> on it could have been uh, true. But okay, in the and I was standing outside one night, two or three years ago. It was a winter night. And I was standing out where the. Uh, where the ghost would have been and looking up trying to figure out where the window was because they've done some remodeling on the house and i remember i had my cloak on and i thought what if i was just looking out the window and seeing myself and instead seeing the ghost of the future right and then i realized well i've done the same thing in that graveyard as well so huh. you know to me that's what makes it interesting you, you never get a ding 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 that's the right answer you're always interpreting it right right so, all right. Well, hey, we're yeah. going to take a quick break right now. Uh, we're talking to uh, Todd Atbury. He is a photographer, and he's. Uh, we're going to get into um, some of these American Revolution uh, battle sites, and and Todd's going to share some stories with us on that. So, uh, stay with us. You're listening to Spirits and More Radio. Spirits and More Radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Spirits and More Radio. This is our very special Independence Day show, and uh, we're talking about the ghostly uh, hauntings throughout uh, all the American Revolution sites. And you know, you just think about these wars that have happened, and and uh, that time period, time in the 1700s, uh, and some of the things that people saw. You know, um, Todd, I wonder if people hear you know, even like cannon or gunshots from time to time in these areas, you know? Oh yeah. That's fairly common. Uh, uh, well, it's also fairly common to hear cannon and gunshots because they're always having reenactments and, uh, it's part of their daily lives. But yeah, I mean, there are times where, uh, there has been some fairly reputable uh, situations of that horses hooves are a big one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, because uh, I mean, it's not very often you hear several horses ride by in this day and age, even in these locations. Right. So um, you, now you, uh, what are some of the famous locations that you know of that have uh, haunted hauntings going on? Uh, Revolutionary War. Actually, all of them is going to have a story or two or three. Uh, uh, let's see. My favorites are probably the ones that deal more with uh, the smaller battles and skirmishes, things like that, because uh, you really have about as much activity, it seems like, at those as you do in the bigger ones. And like you go to, say, Yorktown, you know, you'd be all day walking around the Yorktown uh, battlefield, whereas, you know, a smaller one, Calpins, for instance, in South Carolina, is a much smaller walk. It's still several acres, but... You get a better feel for a place like that when it's all together as opposed to broken up by routes and roads and things like that. Because to me, I think one of the reasons people who go to these places places looking for ghosts, you're wanting a certain mood, and the less modern there is around you, the better. So uh, places like Calpin's, Sleepy Hollow in New York, they had a few skirmishes around there, and there's uh, stories... In fact, if you look at the uh, legend of Sleepy Hollow, it pretty well lists the ghost stories from that particular region. I see. And each each region will have their own stories. I mean, 
Yeah. So you can spend a lifetime tracking them down. I see. And what are some of your favorites? Have you spent some time looking at at those? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. I went to Calpins and um, I didn't actually see anything that went there. Uh, well, I think you want to talk about that later. So I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, hold, I'll hold off on that one. Uh, Sleepy Hollow to me is a great one. Um, you know, cause you've got, you go to the old Dutch church, which is where, uh, the Ichabod cranes ride ended in the story. And, uh, and that dates to the 1600s. And the, in fact, the headless horseman is buried in the, uh, the grounds of the uh, Sleepy Hollow uh, cemetery. It's not the headless horseman. It's the headless Hessian, which was the original story, and uh, he is actually buried there. And I've seen a couple of things in that location. But you go just down the road from there, and you have Rockefeller Preserve, which is a huge wood, natural woodland. And you go in there, and there's a uh, one battle site in there, a little skirmish, which was Hold of the Witch. Uh, no, that was her home. She came out and helped in the skirmish. You have a Native American site with a ghost story. So, I mean, you can just walk around that area all day long and go from ghost story to ghost story. You got the white lady of Raven Rock on the other end of it. So, wow. Um, some of these are pretty rapid. I mean, it, it's hard to say because most ghost stories tend to take place soon after the event happens. And uh, so, by the time you hear the stories, they may be 100, 150, 200 years old, and you get variations. So, yeah, yeah. Is there? Um, do you know of? You're a photographer. Do you know of any photos uh, that have been taken of these in some of these places, like Bunker Hill and and the Saratoga and those those battlefields or battles? No, not really. I mean, uh, yeah, the, there's very few really reputable uh, ghost ghost photos that can't be dismissed. I mean, because yeah, I'm being a photographer, and for a long time I had a really cheap camera. And uh, so I knew how orbs were created. And, you know, there may be some instances of orbs actually being something other than the scientific rationale behind orbs. But I also know the better camera you get, the fewer orbs you get. For instance, with the camera I've had now for the past seven, eight years, I've never taken a photo of an orb, even in the same places, same times where I've been before and found them. So, I mean, you know, your classic ghost story photo or ghost photos. Some of those still hold weight. Yeah. And uh, and really, that's, you know, that's it. If, if they were going to prove the existence of ghosts through EVPs, they would have been now because there's plenty of good EVPs out there. And ghost photos, they'd be able to prove it through that. But the one thing that convinces people of the existence of ghosts, and I don't know of anything else that does it, is when you actually see one. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Personal experience. I mean, it's personal experience. I mean, some people are more easily swayed, but other people, if it's not them, it needs to be someone they know or someone they trust. Yeah. Well, not and, only uh, that. And, and the, well, what's interesting about that or what you're talking about is that sometimes a lot of people see things and they just, you know, pass it off as their imagination. And, you know, right. you don't, your, your first initial reaction is I didn't see a ghost unless, you know, I've heard some stories where people literally saw, a person coming towards them, you know, not transparent or anything that they believed was a real person and they were ready to talk to them. And then that person just disappeared right in front of them. Uh, so, oh, sure. so if there's something uh, like that, that's, you know, again, I guess you could think something was in your water, but, but yeah, that's, well, I, spoke, I spoke to a lady in Britain who did that. Uh, she was walking along her railroad tracks and she ran across an old man and she had a little conversation with him. And a while later, a friend of hers asked, you know, started telling this same story about meeting the same guy. And she said, Oh yeah, I met him too. And then he got to the punchline of it, which was he had died like 50 years earlier, got hit by a train. So, wow. Yeah. Now that's, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, most ghosts, actually most ghost sightings last less than a second. Yeah. And in that length of time, you can't really tell what you saw. So right. uh, that, in that but, length of time, your life could change. I mean, it's, yeah. Well, it's, and the other thing too, is like your situation. If you keep seeing the cloaked man out in the yard, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you can't, 
I don't think there's much to dispute that in your mind. Like, why would you be seeing this thing like that? You know, that especially, right, especially right. if other people saw it. Now, if you were the only person, you know, hallucinations do exist, you know, but uh, sure. if, if there's someone else that saw the cloaked man at a different time, you know, that's collaboration right there. So, but as right, you said, you right. know, you could never uh, personal until you see something that's unbelievable that you can't explain and you feel that you've thoroughly exhausted, you know, all practical possibilities. That's when, mm -hmm. that's the kind of experience that really moves you, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And, and no one and, else. You know, and the right atmosphere is important. I mean, you've, you've got to be looking for, for it or at least open to it. And, uh, you know, I mean, some people say those kind of things color the, uh, your experience. So maybe it can't be trusted as much, but what the heck? Yeah. Well, and then I, well, I know other, I've known people who have had, you know, see ghosts in the middle of the daytime, you know, it doesn't have to be right, at night right. in a spooky place. Um, yeah. I mean, you know. most of what I saw here in the house was in the daytime. Yeah. It's just the nighttime that really makes it come out in you. And, <laughs> and especially total darkness. I mean, oh, yeah. what, what, why is it, why would a ghost come up to somebody in the total darkness? It's like <laughs> trying to call them out. I don't think most of them come on command because you don't have ghost treats. I mean, right. You know, there's no bacon flavored ghost treats. I don't believe. Well, and you have a, you have an interesting uh, perspective on ghost hunters and, and equipment. You've been on, uh, you've been on a investigation uh, with a team of people who set up a bunch of high tech equipment. Can you tell us a little oh, bit yeah, about that? that? Was yeah. What was, what was yeah. that about? Yeah, I mean, that was fun, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't really capture anything interesting. I mean, you know, there was some scratchy things that could be EVPs, could be, uh, you know, interference from other things. And you couldn't really tell what they were saying, and uh, I took a lot of photos on it. And I did get a photo of what looked like a little child up in the corner of the, the room, which scared the crap out of me until the guy said, no, that was actually one of the researchers up there with the light on. So, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I just don't really most, I mean, like I said, there may be some ghosts who, who come out on command, but trying to call the things out, I, you know, that, that implies a consciousness that I don't think all ghosts have. I think most of the ghosts you see are just, you know, just somebody reliving or passing through, or maybe you're just looking back in time. Who really knows? Yeah. Now, didn't but, you on that in, on that investigation? You you heard a noise. Is that right? I remember something. Oh about yeah, yeah. I was hearing a. Well, we're we're looking for a ghost of a child, actually, and it sounded like a little kid, like tossing a little ball or something up up and letting it bounce on the desk. But you know, being in total darkness, you really couldn't see what was going on. And you you so, actually tried to investigate like the air conditioning vents and things, is that right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I wandered all over the place trying to try to figure that one out, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't explain it. And uh, and that was a, I mean, an ancient site for the United States that dated to about fourteen hundreds. And but we were actually investigating the uh, visitors center, which you know was probably fifty years old. Right. But like I said, most ghost sightings happen sooner after the event than later. So, you know, it would be the ideal time for something like that. I see. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of Native American ghosts from the colonial era and around the revolution, because it did play a fairly substantial part in uh, the revolution in some places. Vincennes, Indiana is about an hour and a half from here, and I lived there for a while. Which there was actually a battle there where uh, George Rogers Clark led his troops in the winter through like uh, days of March, several days march through the swamps and surrounded the British here. And the Native Americans had been working for the British, and you know, it, it had been a slaughter on that on their part. But you have a lot of sightings of uh, of uh, various Native Americans just here in the general in the Midwest, particularly around rivers. That's interesting so. because I I've never heard that uh, being here on the west coast of the United States we you know there aren't I I don't think I've ever heard of a Native American spirit being seen but that's common oh, yeah. that's common over there. Well yeah and but part of the part of the deal too is we still have more of the open spaces I mean uh, uh, one of the earliest ghost stories from my time or my particular area here I live in a town of about six thousand people. And when it was founded about 1825, it was Hulda the Witch, no, Cato the Witch, who lived just outside of town above Indian Shoals, which was a river landmark. Uh, 
And no one can even tell me where this is now, but I believe I've located where it was. And uh, she had three sons who were no good. And so when she died, she wanted all of her possessions burned or buried. And then she wanted her coffin to be left partly above ground with the lid cracked so she could see if they came back. (laughs) But, you know, and and in that area there, there's been uh, quite a few Native American uh, sightings. Right, right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to get into uh, American Revolution uh, ghostly experience uh, that our guest uh, Todd had. Uh, So stay with us. Spirits and more radio. Whoa. So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! You're my fave. Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Hey there, listeners. This is Steve Rowan, your host. I hope you're enjoying this show. And if you are, I'd like to ask you to help us expand our audience by giving us a review in your podcast app. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And for doing so, I want to do something special for you. I want to offer you a free bonus hour of any one of our previous shows so if you like the alien show and you want to hear the second hour or the disneyland show or the ouija board show just take a screenshot of your review and email that to me at editor at spiritsandmoreradio.com and i will email you right back with a link to the second hour of any show you'd like thank you for listening and please share us on your facebook and retweet us now back to the show This is our special Independence Day show, and uh, thank you for joining us. Remember, you can call in your ghost stories. If you grew up in a haunted house uh, like our guest did, uh, you can call in at one eight seven two two ghosts and uh, leave that on our voicemail, and we'll uh, try and get back to you, uh, if not put what you can even leave the story uh, on the voicemail, uh, and uh, and we'll, we'll review that, or we might just play it right on the air. Uh, you can also go to spiritsandmoreradio.com. That's where you're going to find all the previous shows uh, that we've done, as well as details on this show and links to uh, Todd's website and some of his photography and what he does. Um, Todd, you you did mention that uh, part of you were a painter and you started to do photography. And I just wanted to point this out because the photos that you take of these historic locations you do something to them, don't you? And, and somehow you filter them because they look almost as if they are a, like a hybrid between a photo and a painting. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's really, I mean, it's not that far from what you would, you could do with a standard photography. One thing I do is I put a paper texture under the image uh what i usually use is rice paper though i've used canvas and various things and you know it used to be when you had prints made of photos it was on textured paper i mean that was that was and now i do uh some tricks which might compare to the old photo retouching uh, i try to build the things the same way i would if it's, as if i was painting it there's transparent layers built on top of each other and yeah um and plus, I take two photos, fo- almost always take two photos of each image, one of the left side, one on the right side, and merge it together. So I got a, something really big to work with. Oh, I see. I don't, re- I don't know why I do that, but you know, I've done it ever since I, had, I started doing it when I had a cheap camera that didn't, wouldn't take wide angle photos. Oh, really? So, yeah, so you just would, would take a, a photo of kind of the left side and then move it a little bit to the right to get a bigger image? Yeah, huh? that's it. And in fact, I mean, and now that I've got a, a pretty decent camera, I could. Most of my photos, I could blow up to wall size and then stop, probably still be clear, which is yeah. fun. You know, you can zoom in and look for spooks. Right. Absolutely. So it I was, haven't found any, but I still look. <laughs> now, as far as American Revolution sites go, which ones have you been to and taken photos at? 
Uh, let's see. There was Calpins. Okay, the big ones. Yorktown. Yorktown is is like the for me is the best because you got Yorktown, Jamestown, and Colonial Williamsburg all in like a half hour of each other. Uh, I haven't been to Bunker Hill yet. Yeah, because that's basically inside of uh, inside Boston now or out in the suburbs. I've spent a lot of time in Salem and the area around Salem. Uh, what's the town right next to that? Marblehead, Massachusetts. That's where the uh, uh, Navy came from in the Revolution, basically. That uh, merchant fleet was was converted into the first Navy. There's a lot of stories about that town. In fact, that's where Lovecraft-based... Uh, Oh, one of his fictional uh, towns on. Hmm. Interesting. Can't remember the name of it. Yeah, in fact, one of the houses that's in one of Lovecraft's stories is still standing. The, the entire village in Marblehead, when you're in the old part, nothing dates to past 1820. So, I mean, that's ideal site there. I mean, it's not a big battle site. Uh, Ticonderoga, the, haven't got to that one. Saratoga is the one I really want to go to. Uh I mean, that that was pretty much a, a butchery there. I mean, so I would think that would be a good spot for ghosts. Right. Kind of like Gettysburg for the uh, Civil War. And do you... Uh, um, he, oh, go ahead. No, well, well, like with, with Saratoga, I guess the way I understand it, if I'm remembering right, you know, and it, it was pretty much the same for the entire revolution, which is wacky on the British part and for, in the beginning, the Americans, is they would march in formation these long lines of people would just walk across the battlefield towards each other and of course at first they would just start blowing holes in it with cannonballs and when they got close enough they would just start shooting them and then they would stop and pick up their guns and yeah, i mean it was just insane how many people died uh the battle of uh well after bunker hill came lexington and concord and uh, been there, and that's one of the best ones. You can pretty much walk from Lexington, where the first battle took place, uh, to Concord. It's about, I think, about a 10-mile hike or something like that, and it's perfectly preserved. You know, people run, hike along it. Uh, sightings of dying soldiers alongside of the road, sightings of uh, uh, wounded soldiers. There's a burned-out house, which was uh, burned down, and let's see, was it a baby that was inside? I mean, just awful stories. And then when you get there, you're in Concord or Concord. Yeah, excuse me. We have a Concord here. It's Concord <laughs> in Massachusetts. <laughs> and uh, ghost stories in the hill there. And Concord's a beautiful place. I mean, you also got Walden Pond and all that. But you have uh, the Old North Bridge, which was the second battle of the Revolution. Excuse me, Bunker Hill came after all these. And at Nor Old North Bridge was the one where the uh, Colonials were ready for the British, and as they crossed the bridge, uh, they just blasted into them. Now the uh, now does that the, is that the bridge? You have a photo of a bridge on your website. That could be. Is that the one? Yeah. It, you call out a specific place, sort of where the revolution began, and it shows. It's yeah, that, a, that was pretty well it. I mean, it was all in one afternoon where the you know it was Paul Revere uh, took off and gave the warning, and then the British went to Lexington and the. Uh, the, co the colonists stood up to them there, right? But I mean, that, that was pretty much a massacre because as soon as the, you know, at that point, that big long line of red coats firing guns at you did scare the living crap out of the colonists, and they ran, but they still lost several people. Yeah, but that, by the time the British had marched to Concord, uh, the word was out, and so not only did uh, the colonists win the battle there at Bill uh, North Bridge, the British then had to retreat down that same road. And there were people hiding in the trees, just and picking them off the whole way back to Boston. So they, I mean, they were pretty much decimated by the time they got back. So I mean, it's a very bloody history there, and uh, yeah, quite a bit of uh, sightings. If you get to uh, Concord, there's the Colonial Inn there. And I forget which room it is, but I, I stayed in that room, and that was that whole part of the house was supposedly used for a hospital and morgue because it was the doctor that lived there. And uh, that room's had several ghost sightings. Uh, and it's, they still keep it up pretty much the way it would have been the 1700s, except you do have electricity and a bathroom and a TV. But, uh, I mean, you can get the feel for that place. And uh, I didn't see anything in there, but uh, it felt good, good and moderately creepy anyway. Yeah, so you stayed there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, that's... Some, 
it, it's funny a lot of the times the stories with the the ghost behind it's an extra hundred bucks and have fewer amenities than the newer rooms <laughs> uh, that's one of them i'd say that's worth longfellow's wayside inn is a short distance from there and that would have been a tavern back at the time of the revolution there were no battles there but there's been oh jerusha Howe. i forgot about her in fact it was on one of these ghost ghost tv shows it was kind of embarrassing to watch but uh she was she fell in love with a british soldier and he swore he would come back for her and he just never did and she spent her her life became a spinster and old maid and finally died and when you spend the night in that room sometime you're woken up to feel somebody cuddling with you or uh rubbing your face she's supposedly likes bearded men the most and uh so that you know that's interesting <laughs> yeah did you stay in that yeah. room did you stay, yeah, in, I stay that in that room yeah it doesn't even have a tv i mean tv now, telephone or anything so when you go to these places that have these rooms uh available uh are they pretty much booked up people are trying to get in there because of their history or, or is it just random that you end up in these uh, if you go in october yeah uh, October, it's it's a nightmare finding them. Some of the places won't actually uh, rent you the room if you ask for it. Like uh, uh, Union Station in Nashville has a has a haunted room, and when I called to ask for that, they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Well, first off, I asked them if we could reserve specific rooms, and they said yes. And then I asked about that when they said, "No, you can't reserve that room. Oh. You just have you just have to get lucky when you come in." Oh, so they don't and, uh, they don't want to encourage uh, lines, no, they don't want lines encourage, of people yeah. with uh, backpacks full of EMF detectors and stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the places are fine with it, and you always got to wonder when they're fine with it, or, or you know, are they are they promoting the stories for themselves? And so, with some of these older places, uh, you know, the stories go back into the 1800s if you care to research them. So yeah, you feel fairly confident in them. I, I tend to stay out of the overly cheesy ones. Right. Is there and um, if they have a bar that serves colonial era drinks, then you know, I'm there. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> I haven't done I haven't gotten into those drinks yet. So uh but anyway. Uh, they're they're pretty they're pretty stout. I mean uh when I'm in Britain, one of my favorite ales is a it's got a full full measure of rum in it, which was what they gave the sailors. Uh, an ale with a full measure of rum that rum that was your daily allotment of breakfast, I think breakfast, lunch and supper. So oh. makes for a good breakfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now you have an interesting take on uh, these. Are um, going into these paranormal investigations these days? You talked about you know the uh, massive amount of electronics and things, and and how you you tell us your thought on that because I know what you what you said about that as far as uh, ghosts, you know, knowing what. Well, it's interesting, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I I would think if a ghost is trying to communicate with somebody. They're going to probably not be communicating in order to prove their existence, but, you know, maybe to get a message across or something like that. And, you know, I just don't really see how having electronics, you know, especially when you're saying, in here, talk into this box. I mean, that's not really going to help them out any unless they've been aware of all this stuff. I mean, yeah, it seems like a little goofy to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> to be honest. That, uh... It's interesting. I mean, and probably if I had a couple pieces of equipment, I would haul them around with me. Yeah, but I, I get what you're saying. If George Washington, you know, uh, was told, you know, type something out on this computer. I see what you're saying about that. You, yeah, he's not going to be up on that. You need to leave a, an ink jar and a feather, you know, with some paper out for him. Mm -hmm. to, for well, him to yeah, it would it. probably help to leave the thing, maybe just even a blot of ink where they could just put a little stamp in it. But, of course, that implies that they have a physical presence as well, so. Right. Yeah. In order to push a key, you do need to have some kind of physical presence or ESP. And I don't think ghosts necessarily develop extrasensory perception or telekinesis just because they died. You know, I would think you'd probably have less skills. Right. Well, you also, you know, I, uh, Powerball was up uh, to what uh, almost a billion dollars <laughs> last year. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I. You know, I try to keep in touch with my ancestors. Yeah, but yeah. Nobody's helping me out on that. I know. And, and, and what I realized about that is that, you know, you don't know the numbers ahead of You don't have, uh, you're not a psychic. If you're not a psychic when you're alive, you don't become a psychic when you're dead, I guess. Is That's that a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. But, I mean, you know, I, I think anything is possible in all this. But, I mean, what is it now? They figured out finally that dark matter 
is 64% of the universe. They don't really know, can't really explain everything in the other percent, but that 64% of the entire known universe, they don't have a clue what it is other than it might exist. So, I mean, who knows what's possible? Yeah. And, you know, there might be devices. The thing of a uh, ghost uh dropping the temperature for some reason i can buy into that and it could just be because i saw so many movies about it when i was a kid but uh so that would be something i would like to have around yeah uh yeah things like that yeah i I, you can get uh and people use those you know speaking of temperature people like to use those temperature guns where you pull the trigger and it shows a little laser dot and tells you the temperature but uh, mm-hmm. even better than that is if you have a smartphone to hook up one of those FLIR thermal imaging uh, cameras to it, and then you can see, you know, green or dark blue is is cold, and you know the brighter yeah, colors yeah. are hot. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a much better way to to get a a feel for that. And that's interesting too, because if someone says, "Oh, I just felt something cold pass over me," but on that camera, it's completely normal. You know, then obviously there wasn't truly a temperature drop right there. You know? Right. So, but living in a hundred and thirty year old house, I mean, if if that if I actually put a lot of stock into that, man, this would be the most haunted house in the United States. Because <laughs> you know, you'll be sitting here on the ninety degree day, and all of a sudden, this little blast of cool air comes through. Yeah. And the opposite in the winter. So. Right. It's right. It's, it's kind of the nature of houses. And a lot of the haunted locations people are looking at are, you know, old places and abandoned places at that. Uh, what is it? Kings Park Psychiatric Hospital in Long Island. It's huge with like, I think they still got about 10 buildings left and the biggest one's 11 stories. And none of them have any windows in them. So, you know, how accurate can anything like that be in a place like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, now you do have a story related to one of these colonial uh, locations. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, and actually, well, it would be at the uh, site of the burial of the Headless Hessian or the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, good. Okay, Uh, well, we're going to get to that. I got a break right now, and then we're going to get right into that story. You're listening to Spirits and More Radio. You are listening to spirits and more radio have a paranormal story tell us at spooksandspirits.com hey if you're like me when you first went to get a fog machine you had no idea which one to get i mean you can get one for 30 bucks all the way up to a couple hundred bucks well listen HalloweenPartyDeals.com takes the guesswork out of which fog machine is going to be best for you. Go on there, check out what they have to say about them. They'll help you get exactly what you need. All right, that's HalloweenPartyDeals.com. HalloweenPartyDeals.com. This is our special Independence Day show, uh, Spirits and More Radio. We actually didn't even plan on this. This was like a last-minute thing that I decided to do uh, because I came across. Yeah, I appreciated the warning. <laughs> <laughs> I came across Todd's website, and it was it was interesting. And he had some stories related to you know a spot that was uh, you know in the 1750 kind of like American Revolution area. And uh, why don't you tell us about that? Okay, well, uh, all right, well, it's partly the, the, the story. Well, it's what happened to me there. Uh, I was working with Jonathan Crook, who is the Sleepy Hollow storyteller, which, believe it or not, that position actually exists. Uh, and he's, he's really good at it. And we were tracking down the locations that went into the legend of Sleepy Hollow, along with a lot of the others from uh, uh, the Hudson River Valley. And if you remember the revolution at all, it started in Boston, but then it moved to Long Island. There was the Battle of Long Island where the British knocked the Colonials onto the island of Manhattan, and they went from Manhattan into Westchester County, and that's where you find Sleepy Hollow. 
and like I said, if you read the story of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, it, it outlines all these great ghost stories in there. And what it doesn't do is tell the real story of the headless horseman. And the horseman wasn't a horseman at all. He was a foot soldier. He was a German soldier over here fighting for the British. And uh, they had burned a cabin. And it was actually owned by uh, one of the families that uh, Washington Irving used for the, their name for in the uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But they had set fire to this cabin. They had, the occupants weren't there, and one of the people was suspected of being a revolutionary uh, colonial soldier. And all of a sudden, the woman came running out of the woods, screaming that her baby was inside the burning cabin. And one of the German soldiers ran inside the cabin, rescued the baby, and brought it back to the mother. And then a few weeks later, in the Battle of White Plains, as he crossed the uh, White Plains River, a uh, cannonball took his head off. Now, you know, and this is where it gets kind of conjecture, because how did they recognize the guy without a head? But anyway, the people of Sleepy Hollow took him to their bosom, and they uh, hauled him to Sleepy Hollow, and they buried him in the churchyard there, which is one of the oldest graveyards in the United States. And uh, I mean, there you'll find Brom Bones, you find Katrina Van Tassel. All the names that uh, went into the legend of Sleepy Hollow, they're all buried there, and the graves are still there. But the Headless Horsemans, or the Headless Hessians, isn't marked. They didn't want to give him a marking because they didn't know the guy, and they didn't want to give him a full Christian burial. But uh, and I was there doing photos of the graveyard, and as I took down my camera one day, just to my left right there where that grave was, I saw out of the corner of my eye a soldier standing there, colonial-era soldier. And just standing there watching me, and immediately it's gone. And I put that down, you know, well, that's probably my imagination. And then later, that was a few months later, I got to do photography in the uh, Washington Irving's home, which is just down the road from uh, the old Dutch church. And Washington Irving's home was originally owned by the uh, Van Tassel family, which you'll remember is the, uh, the femme fatale of the uh, legend of Sleepy Hollow. And while I was in there, it was during the summer or during the winter, and so it wasn't open. I, I was in there legally. I had a guide. The guide took me in there. And they were doing some cleaning. And when we got there, the cleaning people were gone. And uh, I was upstairs in Washington Irving's niece's room doing a, doing a photo. And the guy that was with me was downstairs doing something. All of a sudden, I heard this really high-pitched giggle. And it was pretty loud. And uh, I, I thought, man, that guy has a really girly laugh. And then he came upstairs a couple minutes later and asked me what I was laughing at. And I said, well, I thought that was you. So we looked, and there was nobody in the house. And so, you know, that, that was kind of creepy. And then later that day, I stopped by the old Dutch church to uh, do some more photography in the graveyard. And while I'm standing in the same place, because I frequently do end up taking pictures of the same damn thing, I don't know why, but when I took my camera down, there was the soldier again. So I saw the same thing in the same place two different times. So the soldier, later, when you saw that soldier, was he in the exact spot, in the same <laughs> pose exact and everything? Spot, same pose, just standing there watching me. So you, yeah. when you say he was watching you, you mean he was looking directly towards you, like eye yeah, contact. He was, he you was made eye contact. Uh, it, it was, and like I say, it was really brief, so eye contact, eye contact might be a stretch, but uh. I mean, same guy, same same spot. Huh. And then later, I met uh, Jonathan, the storyteller, for a dinner at the the diner, and we're sitting there. He said, "Well, did you meet Fanny?" And I said, "Who's Fanny?" He said, "That's Washington Irving's niece. People say they can hear her laughing in the house sometimes." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that was a twofer. I got, I got two ghosts in one day, which you know, yeah. normally doesn't happen. But, in fact, I don't know that I saw anything really for certain. Uh, that would have been probably six, seven, eight years ago. And I can't really say I saw anything certainly till uh, about two years ago. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, like I say, a lot of the best ghost stories about the revolution you find in smaller places, uh, on Long Island, there's a restaurant where the lady was accused of collaborating with the British, and she was supposedly hung by the rafters in her, in her home there. And uh, 
the story was told, but nobody really believed it was true until some people bought the house, I think, in the 1970s or 80s and turned it into a restaurant. And someone then claimed, oh, they had a psychic come in. And the psychic said, yes, you know, she was Mary, or I believe it was a Mary. For some reason, ghosts tend to be Mary and wear white. And uh, she said, yes, and I'm buried in the graveyard on top of the hill. Huh. And uh, so later they went up and checked it out, and there was, in fact, an abandoned graveyard at the top of the hill. And they found a tombstone, which had been knocked over like decades before. In fact, another tombstone had fallen on top of that. So, yeah, I mean, those those little stories like that are the ones that, to me, pull a little more weight than you're standing on a battlefield and see some guys walking across the field. You know what yeah. I mean? Cause uh, it, because I mean that one's pretty well verified, and uh, it's a nice restaurant too. They got good lamb chops. <laughs> good lamb chops. Do, <laughs> do you have any recommendations for anyone who might be listening that uh, wants to go explore these places? You've been to so many of them. Uh, uh, go to Williamsburg. Yeah, Col- Colonial Williamsburg. Get the uh, get if if you don't get a hotel that's actually on the property, which you should, because I mean they've got some which. I mean, the place we stayed was Thomas Jefferson's boarding house when he was in school. But there's a, there's one also right on the edge. You want to be able to go into the village, the, the historic part, at night after everything closes down. Because when you do that, you're essentially walking around in an 18th century village. I mean, all the houses are, if they're not original, they're restored to appear like the original. There's no vehicles, uh, gas lanterns. And half a dozen or more uh, reportedly haunted houses in about a four or five block area. Um, you've got the graveyard down at the end, or not the graveyard, but the jail at the one end of town where Blackbeard's crew was held. And in fact, if you go a little further, you've got the road where they were hung along. And then, uh, I mean, it, it's just amazing how many are there. And then you've got Yorktown, which is 30 miles away where the revolution ended. There's three haunted houses, I believe, in that general area there. Yorktown itself is a tiny village, and it's pretty much the way it would have looked in the uh, 18th century. And uh, you've got one pretty determined haunted house there. And then if you go down to the shoreline, you can find Cornwallis's cave where they still hear people screaming and moaning. And then, of course, Jamestown is right down the road from that. And uh, it's they, a- to me, that... The thing that brought that back to mind lately was remembering that, uh, well, hearing about the the trip to Mars and Elon Musk, and you know, the people who originally get to go to Mars will be the incredibly wealthy, and that's what the uh, British did here. They sent the uh, incredibly rich over here first, and that doesn't work so well. They ended up eating each other at Jamestown. Wow. So, so um, yeah, history's got a lot of good lessons like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it sounds like there's uh, so much to do. I mean, if you were to go to that area and you want to explore everything, how much time would you plan to really to oh, really absorb it? How much time you got. Uh, <laughs> I think the last time we were there, it was three, four days. I, well, I think we did two days in uh, Colonial Williamsburg itself and then one day at a Jamestown because there's two parts to Jamestown. And then also most of a day at Yorktown. Yorktown is a great, I mean, the battlefields are great places to hike if you like walking because they're huge preserved areas. And uh, it might be traffic, but it's it's lightweight traffic. And uh, because, you know, when you, well, okay, and like Calpins we talked about earlier, and that was based on the, uh, what was the movie, The Patriot, the Mel Gibson thing. The uh-huh. final battle in there was based on the Battle of Calpins. I see. And, you know, you get the feeling that it's this huge, you know, tightly confined space when in reality, I mean, these, these places are huge. Huh. Wow. Is there um, a place that uh, stands out in your mind that is the most creepy uh, historic spot that you've ever been to? It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, related to American revolutions necessarily, but is there any place that gave you the chills that you really felt moved Oh, I, I would probably have to go to uh, go with uh, right, so that's a, there's a there's a couple of really good ones. Uh, Limp Mansion in St. Louis, which was built by one of the first beer barons there. Uh, that's I think it had three suicides in there. Uh, the one of the guys, a little bit illegitimate children, which was affectionately known as the Monkey Boy, that they kept in the attic, and he fell down the stairs and he died in there. 
And uh, that place, that yeah, place really creeped me out. And we were spending the night in the bed where the last member of the family shot himself. So, you know, that kind of stuff adds to it. But Bardstown Tavern in Bardstown, Kentucky, that would be the one. You've got to get the old part. And it dates to the years just before the revolution. Uh, everyone from Abraham Lincoln to Washington Irving, various princes and royalty, George Patton all stayed in there, and I had the absolute worst night of my life in a hotel in that place. I didn't see anything, but there's like four rooms in that section, and I knew there was one couple in the next room, and there's nobody else in the others, and I knew when that couple went to bed, but I listened to people walking around outside all night long. They were walking around in the little courtyard, and uh, I didn't even open the door to check it out, to be honest. I mean, really? I, was, I, was, I was utterly petty. Well, I was also... <laughs> uh, about a week later, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. Oh, so you know whether or not that played a part in it, but I was fine when I went in the place, and when I came out of there, I was I was I was a wreck. Wow! And that, I mean that doesn't happen to me in places. It's not like I'm some kind of a uh, paracyclist or something that, yeah. uh, that goes out looking for those. But I, I definitely felt under attack in there, and it, it seemed like it won. You know that's. Now, I have spent the night there one time since then, but I couldn't get a room in the old place. Oh, I see. And what was the name yeah. of that again? What was the name of that place uh, in Kentucky? Bardstown, Kentucky. Kentucky. Let me let me double check the name. Uh, oh, Talbot Inn. T a l b o t might be two t's. Talbot Inn or Talbot Tavern. Ah, okay. I mean, it's great. Eighty bucks a night, and uh, it has beautiful furnishings in it, and. Uh, a, a generous sampling of Kentucky bourbons in the uh, in the bar downstairs. You don't want to go on the weekends and get the room over the bar, though, unless you're really into honky-tonk. Right, I see. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, a lot of these places, if you go there on a Sunday night, you go there on early in the week, Limp Mansion, We, me and my kid were the only two people in that once the restaurant closed. Wow. So we had, and, you know, it is a mansion, and you just wander around there at will. And, uh, yeah, the, those kind of places will that's the kind of places where even if you do not see anything, you're not going to go away unsatisfied. I mean, because you're going to have that mood. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're looking for when we do this stuff. We, we want to get the chills. Yeah. And you capture that in your photography too. I have to say, I, I looked at some of your stuff uh, and where can, now where can people find your website? Why don't you give the listeners your website? Where can they go? Uh, it's actually gothic horror stories.com. Uh -huh. That's the main site. Uh, once you get there, it's titled a Gothic Curiosity Cabinet, but it's uh, gothichorrorstories.com. I see. And then uh, the photography is at witcheryart.com, and that's witchery with a Y. Okay. But if you if you look at my name, you find up all find out all this crap along with X wives and the. Various, various <laughs> stories that aren't true and things, yes. things beyond all the all your artwork and your hard work right so <laughs> okay yeah and actually uh and i got my guide over in britain here the past couple of years uh kate davis and she does photography i've stole her ideas for years and uh, so she takes me around britain and i've been exploring that one and that's been really good i see Interesting. And I know there's a lot over there as well. Uh, you were talking about what happened to you, like the psychological attack in Kentucky. Uh, our third show, I think it was, uh, we had uh, a gentleman who uh, witnessed the Highgate vampire over there. In, I, I, in, saw, I saw a little, little bit of that. Yeah. And uh, that, that entity in that graveyard uh, was known to do that, to confuse people. So it's not the first mm -hmm. time that that's, you know, I've heard something like that. So anyway, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Todd, for being on the show. Uh, it was great. Uh, hopefully uh, the listeners got a nice little taste of some spots to check out if they're ever in those areas. Uh, you know, Williamsburg sounds like a, a prime spot to be. Charleston uh, South. Carolina too. That's a good one. Yeah. So um, it was it was a great show. Thank you so much. And uh, people uh, listening can go check out your stuff. If you go to spiritsandmoreradio.com, uh, we're going to put a link to Todd's website so you can get right to it uh, with a photo of him and some of the cool stuff he does. He's got some, some really neat things going on. So uh, thank you, Todd. And uh, we'll see everyone on our next show. Thank you. Hey, Todd. <laughs>
breathing Just praying to a God that I don't believe in Cause I got time while she got freedom Cause when a heart breaks, no, I don't break even The best days will be some of my worst She finally met a man that's gonna put her Sleeping Cause when a heart breaks No, it don't break even 